understand we've all felt stuck at one point or another, even the most successful people among us, because it's a rite of passage, a trial, to see if you have what it takes to be independent. The test is to prove that you deserve your destiny. Each week our goal is to bring you an inspiring story of someone who moved beyond their stranded face and found greatness on the other side. Welcome to The Stranded Podcast, and this is your host, Jessica Hurley. Hey, mom friends. Welcome back to this episode of the Mom Still Standing Podcast. So today, I have a special treat for you all. If you know anything about podcasts and setting up podcasts, then you may possibly know this name. (laughs) She is my girl. I feel like I know her intimately, even though I don't really know her intimately. That doesn't make sense. But when you start listening to a person's podcast and you start interacting with them on social media and then you get the opportunity to meet them, you just feel like you know them closely because they share so intimately on their podcast. But Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing and chatting with Jessica Hurley. She is the podcast queen, and she is also an influencer. She's also the host of her own podcast called The Stranded Phase Podcast. Check it out. She's also the creator of Insta Podcasts. So welcome to the show, Jessica Hurley. Thank you, Danielle, for having me. And thank you for this podcast. This is this is this podcast is so important to me because it's like I'm a mom too and I don't talk about it enough. Like I feel like momming is the job that we just leave in third place. We don't talk to other moms about enough. I know as a business owner and an entrepreneur and a wife, it is just something that gets put on the back burner so much. So I'm so glad that you are talking to moms and just giving us a space to feel comfortable and talk about the real Realness of motherhood. Yes, the truths about motherhood. <laughs> yes, because there are some truths oh, that God, I was like, yes. oh, so no one was going to tell me that. <laughs> That's exactly how I felt when I came about. Like, first of all, why did anybody tell me they was going to hurt pushing this baby out? Exactly. I'm like, they make childbirth sound so beautiful. Where? Right. Where? Where was that? Because right. <laughs> that was not my situation. And then when you have a baby, you're like, I could do anything. They didn't tell me that, so I can do anything. <laughs> I say I tell people the truth. It's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt really bad. <laughs> so get ready. <laughs> Let me not lie. It's gonna suck. <laughs> right. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> but anyway, I invited Jessica to join me. We have so much going on in our world today, and oh god, it's just so exhausting. I was telling her before we started recording that. This morning, I came face to face with my blackness again, like, what the heck? And so I wanted to have this conversation with her because I feel like she is not the average white girl. And I feel like she relates a lot to people of color. And after spending a lot of time with her, because she actually has a podcast agency called the Insta Podcast, and that that is really how the Mom Still Standing podcast came to be. Um, but I also attended her, her event in Tampa, Florida in January. Thank God that happened before the, the daggone COVID-19. <laughs> I say that all the time. Thank God. 
That is. But I met her and was able to uh, experience her like face to face and her energy and her genuineness and really just her love and concern for women, women to get unstuck and to really be the women that God has called them to be and to walk in purpose. So I wanted to have a conversation with women that were not women of color, moms that were not of color. And so here we are. And so really what I want to highlight on here is the fact that I have had really good, genuine relationships with white people, you know, does bring some sort of comfort that white people are not all created equal. And so we all know that the coronavirus is here and now we have a different virus. You know, it's the Mm. virus of racism. And I just want to hear from you and want you to just, I want, I want to know from you, like, which do you think is worse? I think um, one could not have happened without the other. That's for certain. I think everything is, is heightened. Our awareness is heightened because everybody was home to see this. I don't think, and don't get me wrong. Like I say this as lightly as possible. I don't think George Floyd was any different than nine black men killed ago. I don't think he was any different. I think America was at home to see it. I think they all visualized it. And I think on video, this was clear enough for people to be like, okay, this is wrong. Because I can guarantee you, people killed before, I'm sure many white people just weren't willing to watch it or they weren't even in circles or communities where they were hearing about this. Because if we were honest, this is the most we've ever seen a situation like this aired on the news. Prior to this, it was maybe... 30 seconds of something that was lightly covered without awareness brought to the actual site, but maybe like the anchor covered it. They showed a, maybe a picture and explained what happened, but there was never brought real attention to these situations outside of social media. This is the first time. This is the first time people have woke up. I think the pandemic for that, I truly believe in real gratitude and abundant opportunities created from things that make us feel very uncomfortable the pandemic was very uncomfortable. It still is. It's it's hurt a lot of people as well as their families and their pockets and maybe even their relationships. But I have enough gratitude to believe that the pandemic required America for the first time in 400 years to actually acknowledge racism. Because I promise you, before the pandemic, they weren't planning on it. Well, even for a woman of color, I feel like had it not been for the pandemic, I probably wouldn't have watched that video because that was the that was the first video that I watched in its entirety. Mm-hmm. And I talked about this in a previous episode, and it's because I never wanted that to be my reality. As a it's mom, too, it's of, too real, right? It's as a mom real. of two boys, I never wanted to watch those videos. But because I was home, because I had time, because just of a lot of different things, I did. I watched it, and that was the first time I ever watched something like that, and it was horrifying. I mean, I was in disbelief. Like, what did I just see? So thank you. And then we were already emotional because we've been in this pandemic. So I think you have a very, that's a very good point. I haven't actually heard it put like that before, but now we're here and we're going to talk about where do we go from here. But I think something else that's very important that I want to highlight is that most people don't realize that you have been connected to the Black community for a very long time since being a little girl. (laughs) And I think what's interesting about that for me is that I always sensed that you were different. 
And so when I found that out, no, when I found that out, I was like, well, no wonder why. Like she's been engulfed in our community <laughs> since she was like 10. Like <laughs> she was always trying to get over onto the other side of the tracks, you know? <laughs> I get told that all the time, but people can never put words to it. I'll meet strangers and they'll be like, I really like you. And I'm like, thank you. And they'll be like, it's like, it's like, I don't know. It's just like you have soul. And I'll be like, oh, okay. Does does that is that bad they'll be like no no you just have soul I don't know what it is but there's there's just something about you I can feel it and that but this is the thing it's just like what you said I love what you said and that was very honest of you and I appreciate that is it where you said that like there's been so many white leaders that were integral in your growth like imperative to your growth that saw you that saw you for your skill and your capabilities not your skin color and were there for you that is exactly how I feel about the black community Anybody that hasn't listened to, if you haven't listened to my podcast, The Serena Phase, I did an episode called A Letter to My Whitest Self. And I wrote about the regalness that I used to, I don't even know if that's a word, but just how regal I used to feel about Black people, that they gave me a different perspective. And I I can't explain it, but there were so many Black mothers and women and men in my community that showed love and protected me and took care of me over anyone else. Like my parents, I was the only child. My parents were busy. I lived in a a neighborhood that was white people were the minority. And it was like, it was the opposite. Like you always hear about gentrification, but I lived in a neighborhood that was like next to what's considered over the tracks. Mm -hmm. And it was like starting to bleed into our neighborhood as like it was growing. So we ended up becoming the minority in our neighborhood. And I'll never forget when I was uh, in sixth grade. It's just the way that community rallies around you. I can't explain it. And I remember being in sixth grade and I really liked this. I told this story on a podcast one time. I really liked this white guy. His name was Kyle. I was like obsessed with him. I had never dated anyone before. And I did like the childish thing. I like wrote a letter and then I told my best friend. I told, I don't even know who the, well, I remember who the girl was, but I told her. So she decides to go tell him and he comes back and, or she comes back and she says, I told Kyle that you like him. And I was like, what do you say? And she's like, well, he said that you're like too fat for him. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I remember that night, I used to play like on a pogo stick outside. I remember that night sitting in my driveway with all my neighbors, half of them were black. And I said, what happened? And one of the boys was like, you are not fat. You're beautiful. You are going to have whatever man you want. You know, my mom always tells me how pretty you are and how nice you are. Like, you're going to have whatever you want one day. And just like, the willingness to pull money out of their pocket, I've never seen in my life. Like, I cannot tell you how many Black mothers, fathers, and older men that I knew from my neighborhood would give me five, ten, fifteen dollars in a heartbeat. If they saw me waiting at the bus stop, if they saw me like walking to school, if they like knew my yearbook was coming out, like somebody paid for, I remember somebody in my neighborhood paid for my yearbook one year. Like, just the love and the invites and like that joke about invited, invited to the cookout. <laughs> like the invitations to the cookouts, like, and the family, like I've, I've never, I'm, I'm an only child to a family that they don't really have a lot of expectations. I love my parents, but they didn't really do a whole lot. They're homebodies. They sit their ass at home and keep, keep the door closed. Like, <laughs> so to be in a community where people were always like, you're always welcome. You call, we come, you need anything. We're there. You know, you come to the cookout. And up until I was 25 years old and out out of college, calling me every year, you still coming to the cookout? You still coming to the family reunion? 
like being parts of family reunion for last names I don't have. Like I've never experienced that type of love in my life. And so the love that these people have and that they're willing to give for anybody and the clothes off their back, I've always said the willingness somebody has to give, give to others when they don't have much says a lot about their character. Mm -hmm. To me, that is black people. Like the willingness of what they're willing to give to you sometimes when they don't have a lot should tell you everything that you need to know. Mm -hmm. Like these have been some of the most loving, caring, supportive people I've ever met in my life. So when I see them hurting, when I see them crying out, when I go to town hall meetings and I see black women crying because they feel like white people don't understand, I just want white people to be like, okay, I'm a part of this. How do I fix it? Right. It's not direct. It's not personal. It doesn't mean that you, you personally, you have done things to specifically spew racial hate or to participate in racism, but you have absolutely benefited from a system that doesn't, doesn't acknowledge it. And so saying, okay, I hear these cries. This is not personal, but it, I am a part of it. How do I fix it? That's it. This should hurt your heart. If you have any type of feelings, exactly. this should hurt your heart. Exactly. You don't worry about your kids like they do. That's not fair. And I that hate when those white fair. people come up and they're like, well, I have, you know, Bob is my black friend. I'm like, well, then you really should care if he's really your black friend. <laughs> exactly. And you think that you're participating in some form of anti-racism. Like the conversation that you and I are having right now, I don't even pull that card because I don't feel like having a black husband and a mixed child is even enough. That's not even contributing to the positive side. That's contributing to the negative side. Like, that's not enough. Having three, three, four, five years of experience with a one Black family is not enough. I, and I don't ever want to pull that card to validate that I'm different. It doesn't matter. I'm still white. I still benefit from this color of my skin. I still have very different scenarios that happen to me when I encounter a police officer. That is a, completely different. That is the privilege that they speak of. That is the bias that is dealt with. So I'm very different and I do have privilege, but I don't think it's fair to pull that card and say that like, well, I don't contribute to racism because here's my role in it. No, it's do you hurt for these people that are treated unjustly and what do you plan to do about it? Because the answer is, is that it is different, period. It is very, very different. I don't care what you've experienced in your life. You do not fear for your children going outside. You do not fear for your children walking home from this store. Right. You do not fear for your children walking home from a community service project. You don't fear for that. And Black people do. That's the unjust. That's the unfairness. That is the racism. We have to acknowledge that. We have to. And if you can't, you, it, it's just pure ignorance. That, that is the equivalent of like, you, you're willing to worry about what's going on in third world countries, but you're not willing to worry about what's going on in your own backyard. Right. Well, I think that's the beauty of the fact that you've journeyed with Black people so long is that you really do have a heart for them and that you you are willing to, you know, take a stand for them. And I think that that is what separates you, in my eyes, from the rest of them. And like you mentioned, you're a white woman. You, you know, are married to a Black man. You all have two biracial children. Mm-hmm. Um, with everything that's happened in these last couple of months, what do you feel has awakened in you? Oh, my God. So the conversation, the thing that really blew me away was, so I have an 11-year-old stepdaughter who's Black and Spanish, Black and Dominican, and my son, who is white and Black, and he's three. And if you've ever seen pictures of him before, um, go check it out, because when he walks around with my husband, he looks like, it looks like my husband stole a white baby. 
He's very, very pale. He is the same color as me. Maybe minute features that might throw you off, but curly hair, pale skin, it would be hard to tell. I don't know how if he'll get darker, but the conversation that my husband and I had was actually natural. And then when I thought about it afterwards, I couldn't believe that this was a natural conversation to even have. And this is the conversations I want white people to hear about is like three days after this happened, I'm like, well, I talked to our stepdaughter. We had a conversation about it in the car and I told him what she said. And it was really unique because she told me actually that she felt like she hadn't experienced racism, that she had never been called out for being biracial or she never felt like she was treated differently for being half black. And then I said, well, you know, one day we'll, do you feel like you'll have, we'll have to have that conversation with Cameron about being a boy, you know, being a, a biracial boy. And my husband literally said to me, I don't know, we'll have to see. He, we may never have to worry about it. He may never get dark enough. Real and talk. I was like, yeah, you're right. Real talk. That's the truth though. Mm-hmm. Co- that's colorism. That's like, I just had a lawyer on my podcast and I asked her, I said, blatantly, do you think that lighter skinned people are treated like differently than darker skinned people? And she was like, absolutely. The crime literally excels the darker skinned you are. Right. I mean, and we even see that in the way that we treat black people. Like I'm saying that as a black woman, we see that in our communities, how we even treat them. And I've heard stories even from some friends and their family members that their darker skinned cousins were like treated very differently. Matter of fact, I have my own personal story that I just thought of that my grandfather was darker skinned. He couldn't eat at the table with the rest of his siblings because he was the only one that was dark. What? So it's a real thing, even within the Black community. It's an actual real thing. And then think about all the people that have been killed. Like this is, I may sound really ignorant when I say this, but think about all the people that have been killed. How many of them were light-skinned? I think about that all the time. Most of them are pretty, pretty dark. Right. Right. That's crazy. That equals racism. If you want proof, that literally equals racism. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also if you couple that, like I told you this morning, my son said that he was going out for a run and um, he's not dark skinned, but he has dreads. So there's a bias even around that. So I immediately went to like fear-based thinking like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So it was like, I came face to face again this morning with my blackness and the fact that I have brown sons and he just said he was going to go for a run and he's like, I'm just going for a run. And here I am. It's like cringing, like, (gasps) and then I spent the next 30 minutes like praying and like, Oh my God, looking out the window, you know? So it is a very real thing. So it's colorism, but it is even also to what the hair looks like, you know? (laughs) And it's like, no matter how outside of the stereotypical, because this is the thing, here's the truth. Like sometimes I'll get on Facebook and I'll watch the lives, the press conferences the day after the death, which is mind blowing because these are becoming normal. Like I wish someone would just even point that out that like, how come every other week we're watching uh, an entire family have to cry and talk at a podium about how important their son was after he's dead. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching these press conferences and there are some, not all, but there are some white people in the comments that just feel so called to say that like, well, this was a bad neighborhood and this was a thug and he was a drug dealer and he was, they try to justify or validate all of these things. But what we continue to have proof of is it doesn't matter how out of the stereotypical norm you are as a black person, it doesn't matter what neighborhood you're in. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if you follow all the rules. And it doesn't matter if you follow all the rules and listen to that. That's a real fear. 
I've listened to so many black women explain how like I think about everything I've told my son and then I see what happens and I think well god that's exactly what I told my son to do and that person is dead so what do I tell my kids now right right real talk that's crazy I don't fear for that I don't know any white woman that does they don't and then when I think about the letter you wrote you know about your whiteness and just how reflective it was it makes me want to know a couple of different things. I guess the first thing is how beneficial was that to you to actually write it? Not even the fact that you shared it with us, but just how beneficial to you was it that you wrote it? And then do you think that, you know, other whites should engage themselves in that way? Yes. So this was huge for me. This was huge for me. And this is coming from such a selfish place, but I really, I'm willing to share this stuff because I want people to learn from this is as this begins happening. Right. And I hear white people coming out from an argumentative stance, trying to justify their point of view. And then I hear black women coming out, black men and saying, dear white people, dear white people, dear white people. I have this calling in my ego that is saying that's triggering me internally that's saying, but you're not like those white people. They're not talking to you. You're different. You grew up in the black community. You serve black communities. You've even you even given back to the black community. You, you led a step team. <laughs> I led a step team. I've worked in three different communities that were completely at risk. Like I used to work for parks and rec departments and I would go there and they'd be like, well, here's this neighborhood. Here's this neighborhood. Here's this camp. And then here's the place that like we do not go. And I would be like, oh, what's that? And they'd be like, oh, that's Northwest, whatever. Like you, we don't go there. And I'm like, oh, I want to go there. Like send me there. That's where I want to go. I want to go where everybody else doesn't go. Because I know these people are not who you think they're. I know they're not. You've just allowed yourself to believe this, Mm -hmm. that these are bad people. These are my favorite people. Mm -hmm. I'm like, let me go there. So this whole time this is going on, I feel this calling in my ego, this trigger that I'm fighting, this selfishness, this self-centeredness that is like, well, they're not talking about you. You're a different type of white person. And I keep wanting to validate that. I even found days where I was like, well, maybe I should post some pictures so that people know I'm different. Or maybe, you know, and... And But I could feel how wrong it was. It felt so self-centered. It felt so wrong of me to like, while this movement is going on, that is so necessary that I know to be so necessary. I keep finding these moments where I'm trying to validate to somebody that I'm not the wrongdoer. I'm not on the side of the oppressor. I'm different. Well, I even wanted to validate that that to you because I believe I told you that I felt like you were too hard on yourself. I was. No, you're not like them. Like... (laughs) So I think the great thing that I love about being friends with you is that you're always open to listening and always, we don't always have to agree because I still feel like that. I still feel like you're not one of them. I feel like that it is okay if you present yourself in that way, but go ahead. No, I agree. It felt so evil. It felt so like egotistical of me to be so triggered by that. So I was like, okay, I got to figure out what this is. I have to get this out. I got to, because postings, because in my mind, I'm like, I got two options. I either got to figure this out. Or I go post the pictures on social media, have a bunch of Black women validate me. And does that really solve the problem? No. Like, that's not what I'm actually looking for. So I have to get this, like, evil or this, like, space out of my heart. So two nights in a row, I just laid in bed and I journaled and I journaled and I journaled. And on the second night, I just found myself, like, writing a letter. Like, I just wrote a letter to myself about how I felt about this, how what I really, what my ego really wanted people to hear was how much I love Black people. Like how much I literally love Black lives. Like how much they mattered to me, how much they did for me and how much I like insanely at my core care about them. Like if I were honest, I feel more comfortable 
around them than I do many other types of people, you know? And I was like, that's what I wanted to get out was I wanted to get out how much I love black people. That's what I wanted to come out. And so just in that journaling experience, literally the next day I was able to let it go. I was just like, Oh, like, because it was something in me. I, it was almost like I, I heard a woman say it the other day and it was the best way I heard it. She said, if you're a white person that is not like this, but you want to tell the world that you want to show everyone, that's like asking for black people to say thank you. Mm. And I was like, okay, this makes so much sense now. And I feel like there's probably so many white people that have black friends or they have black coworkers and they feel like, well, I've never done anything to be racist at all. I respect all my black coworkers and all my black friends. And I, you know, I've had black friends that I've stayed with or college roommates or whatever. It doesn't allow you to, you don't get a thank you. Mm. You're, you're, this is like, you're just doing the right thing. That just means that all this time you've been doing the right thing. And you can use that as a way to encourage others to do the right thing. Exactly. Exactly. Like that you have been leading by example for a while. How can you now help America acknowledge this and then continue to lead in the right direction? But we don't deserve a thank you for doing the right thing. We don't deserve a thank you for doing not contributing to racism like that was the right thing to do that means that you do see black people as your equals if not more incredible and more amazing than most people see them as like all you know right now is that majority of america devalues them how can you contribute to bringing them to equal like i heard that said the other day and i was like god that's the most incredible thing we're actually debating over the concept that we just want black people to be equal not better not not superior. We're just asking that we consider that Black people are equals and people are actually debating about that. That's, right. that's insane to me. Right, because when we, when we think of America, we think of whiteness. So it's, <laughs> we were never part of that equation. And I actually have on a shirt. I didn't show you my shirt, but it says... It? Black, white, human, I matter. Because Aww. there's only one race, the human race. Right. They came up with that foolishness a long time ago. I heard about that. To separate us. I heard about that based off your, your, how tan you were and how dark you were. Right. So I don't know. I just lost myself (laughs) in that. This is such a real conversation though (sighs) that needs to be had. It is. So with that, do you feel like you should apologize for your white privilege? And I asked that for a specific reason, because I don't feel like that you should apologize for your white privilege. I feel like your white privilege is kind of the same way as me being born with brown skin. Like you were born into this. Like you didn't choose to be white and you didn't choose to be born into privilege. I didn't choose to be born with brown skin. That's just the way God created us. So then I feel like then why should you have to apologize for that if I don't have to apologize for being black? But then also, but what I do believe needs to happen is that White people need to acknowledge their white privilege. Like you have to acknowledge it. You have to recognize and make others recognize that it is a real thing. So I want to hear your thoughts around that. So I have a completely different opinion, but I love yours. I love yours because that's very graceful to me. Like that's, that gives a lot of grace. And I might be a little bit different in the fact that I feel like I kind of, I'm going to sound really wrong when I say this, but like, 
I kind of wish America was run by like a black mama right now. Like, <laughs> like I wish there was like a black woman out there to be hard on everybody right now. Like I kind of want like people to be hard on white people right now. I kind of want it. Even though at the beginning I felt the wrath and it made me feel uncomfortable, but it needs, these conversations needs to be had because what, look at how it's breaking people and it's making them show themselves for who they really are yes. because they can't stand it because it sends them up a tree. They go nuts. Like it, it's really showing people for who they are. Like, well, at least we know who we patronize now and who we were friends with and who we thought we were friends with or what boss we thought we could trust at work. Like, at least we know now. But as far as apologizing, I take this very differently. I really feel like I think we should. But let's let's make this clear. The word sorry is tied to a mistake or a wrongdoing. So when you say sorry, and we we frequently throw around the word sorry all the time, myself right. especially, sorry is tied to a mistake. So born as a white person is not a mistake. I didn't choose this. I didn't say I want to be white. So I'm not apologizing for that portion. But what I do feel like where sorry is called for is the entry into the conversation. Mm. I think that's where the conversation needs to start. Because acknowledging the privilege is saying sorry for the 31 years of my life that I probably never acknowledge that 10, 11, 12 times in my life, I saw where you were mistreated or Black people were mistreated. And I probably never said anything. Mm. I probably never fought for justice for you at all. I probably just act like, acted like that was a normal thing because it was. But acknowledging racism wasn't. I feel like that's the entry into the conversation is to stop with our superiorness and say like, this really sucks. I'm so sorry. I think the way I've explained it in the past is if I went into a speaking engagement right now and got to see, see someone from the Holocaust, a Holocaust survivor speak mm. about their experience, about being, you know, watching their family around them get killed, their children, their brothers, their sisters, maybe their parents, whatever. And they survived. And they're talking about how crazy this was, that there was a dictatorship that wanted, you know, for all of these lives to be lost. And then they said, do you want to come speak to this, this survivor in person? I can't think that any other words out of my mouth for the first moment wouldn't be, I'm sorry. But it's because I'm sorry for what you went through. I wasn't there. I didn't contribute to that. I wasn't a part of that. But I wouldn't look at him and say, well, why are you still talking about the past? I would be like, I'm so sorry for what you went through. Your life sounds like it was incredibly hard to see you standing here. It blows my mind. I'm so sorry. I want to hear more about how you survived. I want to hear more about what you think moving forward can make your country or your community or your surroundings be different so that something like that doesn't happen again. Mm. How can I contribute? How can I help? I think That's the conversation good. has to start with, I'm sorry. Otherwise, there's a lot of animosity. And I think the connection, the world's connection lies in vulnerability. And vulnerability removes the strongest wall of pride. Yeah. White superiorness holds so much pride. Mm -hmm. So if we would just let our pride down to have this conversation, I think it needs to start with, I'm sorry. It needs to start with, I'm sorry. And that you really matter right now. And I want to like to, to a black human being, you really matter right now. I know that my life matters. I know that yours doesn't. So I'm sorry. How do we make this work? How do I enroll in the change? Mm, that's such a powerful perspective that I can really embrace. And I really hope that 
my white listeners and your white listeners really hear your heart on that. I agree. I think, and again, this doesn't mean hold every person accountable that doesn't say sorry. Right. I think if you're white and you are, have been, I mean, I think I know so many white people that are sitting at home and they feel called to do something. They're tired of watching it. They don't want to see people suffer, but they may have never had communication or connection with a black person. And they're like, I don't know what to do, or I don't know what to say without feeling like I'm wrong. I'll say the wrong thing or I'll do the wrong thing. I think this is a great place to start. I think, sorry, I'm sorry is a great place to start. So with that being said, I saw a post today that said you can't fix 400 years after one week. Mm. And so, okay, you said saying I'm sorry is a first good step, but what are some other action steps that are important during this time, like to take individually or even collectively? This is such a good question because I keep, I feel like what's swirling around on social media is that there's a thousand things you're supposed to be doing. And even though this is off topic, I feel like a lot of people might be suffering from a level of guilt because they're not doing these things. And like people that want to be enrolled, they're like, well, so-and-so said that you're either protesting or you're calling your local officials. And if you're not doing that, then you're not doing anything. You know, like, I feel like so many people are so opinionated during this time, which is appropriate. But I think if you are just a listener and a consumer, then you might be overwhelmed with guilt on what to do next. Hmm. And I think I've interviewed a lot of people about these topics on my podcast as well. And I think what I've loved to hear the most is one, start a conversation with, I'm sorry. I think two, you need to look within because you cannot point fingers. You cannot talk about other people's biases and you cannot stand in a room and be the judge and the juror in any situation with your coworkers, your friends, your family, talking crap to your parents about being racist or any of that until you've looked within. You better be very clear on your own privilege and your own biases before you go open your mouth. So I think that inward look is extremely important, whether that's with journaling, having having a conversation intimately with someone that's close to you about ways you may have maybe biased or you or to, how to accept your privilege, but have that intimate conversation and look inward. And I think three is understanding your power. Hmm. Understanding your power. Each one of us play a significant role in change. And it doesn't matter how quiet, how loud. You are, if your skill is writing, if your skill is collaborating with people, if it's bringing people together. But I think this is a great opportunity for people to really take a good look at what their like innate skills are and how they can use them. If you have a voice, use it. If you have a skill to bring people together and create really awesome things, create a panel, put an event together, do a webinar. You know, I just saw someone that you and I both know really well, who got a whole bunch of restaurants on a call, restaurant owners, and asked them what they were doing to show their stance on Black Lives Matter. And then who did they know that wasn't? And she put a list together right there of all the restaurants that did not come forward to do anything or say anything about Black Lives Matter. And then they they produced it, like made it pretty and published it on social media. These are the restaurants that have not said anything and shown any support in the form of Black Lives Matter. And here's all the restaurants that have. That might be your best way to contribute. She's a food blogger. That might be your best way to contribute. And, that, and again, it doesn't stop there. But finding ways to insert this into your life forever, like to insert this in your life forever, to look at the ways in which you move every day and understand, how can I lift the voice of a Black woman or a Black man? How can I assist in the workplace? How can I make sure that they're visually they're visually seen and they're seen as equal and they're heard and they're understood 
I even did an episode on mentoring and I talked about for many of you that are sitting at home and maybe you feel like, well, I'm just little old me. I don't have a platform on social media. I don't really feel like there's much I can do. I've gone to protests a couple of times, but I really feel like there's not much I can do. Go mentor. There are thousands of community centers. I don't care what podunk city you live in. There are community centers everywhere. And sorry when I say it this way, but that are full of young black children because they are suffering from a lack of resources because of systemic racism. And they're sitting in these community centers and they need to be exposed to more and provided additional resources. You can donate, you can go mentor, you can call your local officials, ask them what they're doing about this. You can patronize the right businesses. But I think in the way in which we do stuff on a day-to-day basis, our habits need to change forever. That's good. That's good. And I feel like we're all listening and learning right now, even myself as a Black woman. I feel like there's so many terms out here like ally, anti-racist, microaggression, you know, systematic racism, overt racism. I'm like, I don't even... I don't even know what half of this stuff is. Like, I'm always Googling, like, what is this? What is this? And um, so we're all listening and learning. But I think that, as you pointed out, it's there are so many different things that you could do. Like, if your heart is really moved in, in, a, in a way regarding anything you've seen, then just pick something. But I think one of the things that you did mention and that, that I feel strongly about is that um, you can donate, you can educate yourself, you can do all those things, but if your heart doesn't change, nothing changes because racism is a heart issue and true change starts in our heart. That's why I had to journal all that out. I said, from this point, I knew what I was feeling that I could not open my mouth another second because what I was feeling was personal. It was based on my ego. It was about me when this whole thing isn't about me. It's about an entire an entire group of people that is suffering. And so when I got into that space where I was realizing this was about me, I was like, this is a heart problem. I have to fix this. I have to get this out. Whatever's triggering me, I have to get this out. And so that's why I encourage so many people, please look inward. Because if you're feeling like you hear stuff online and it triggers you, or you feel like you're being called out, or you feel like these conversations are extremely uncomfortable and you'd rather just not, there's something holding you back. You have a heart issue. This stance should be very clear. And like I've said, you have to. You have to take a side. Silence is betrayal. The number one thing you can't do right now is be quiet. Right. You just can't. So what do you think people of color need and want right now? That's a great question. I think activism. I think action behind our words. I think uplifting and just... I don't want to say opportunities because I don't want black people to be tokenized, Mm -hmm. but I think they want for our words to speak volumes for this, there to be true action behind this to like, for us to really take a freaking seat, like sit down, sit down. Like it don't have to be about you all the time. That is one thing I realized, like when I was journaling, I was like, man, we really make it all about us. Like, <laughs> and I read some of the comments from white people and I'm like, oh yeah, we really find a way to make this about us. Like yes. <laughs> to live in a time to realize that like, it does not always have to be about you. You can elevate black businesses. You can buy from black businesses. You can like, honey, my high performance coach right now, who is a damn fortune, no offense. <laughs> is a black male. Like find someone on your staff, hire an educated, amazing, incredible 
Black person on your team that probably does better work than the people that you have now. Provide opportunities, elevate voices, buy products. Like you would be blown away for some reason that your whole entire life they've been, those things have not been visible to you. I think sit down, just sit down. Like this is an era of a time that black people need to be considered equal. And in order for them to be considered equal, we can't overpower their voices. We have to get out of the way. Right. And I guess I'm getting ready to sound like I'm defending white people, but that's easier said than done, you know? Because you all have been operating in this way for years. That's what you know. So it's I think so hard. the part of me is just like just being even gracious. Like we all need to be gracious with each other right now. But even being gracious with our white counterparts because they are trying to figure out this new space and they are trying to learn how to be more quiet and to sit down as our voices get louder and as we stand up. Yeah, it, it, but this has been a fear forever long. I mean, you can read all about stuff like this in the history books that well, not in history books, but you'll read about stuff like this, is that like white, white superior people that hold themselves in that place have always been worried about that. Mm-hmm. They've always been worried about the takeover as if the minority will become the majority and that's their biggest fear. So I understand where that comes from, but it's, it's not that time anymore. And, and it's going to be confusing. People are going to get stuck. They're not going to understand. And especially like I mentioned to you before, I went to a town hall meeting and I watched this poor man stand up and just talk about how he was like, I'm as white as they get. I, he said, I have a picket fence. I have a white family. I have a boat, a house, a white picket fence, like a great job that is primarily with white men. And he was like, but I'm tired of watching this on TV and I don't think it's fair. I don't want to see another black person suffer. So I'm here. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do without pissing anybody off, but I want to be part of the solution. And my, to the other side is I would just pray and hope for the willingness of grace for white people like that, that may have grown up their entire 40, 50 years of life and never really had real authentic relationships with black people. Mm -hmm. There's that side too. Again, there's bad apples on both sides. Mm-hmm. I advocate, I, you know, I will advocate for this for the rest of my life, but I truly, I did, like, there's people like that. I see their genuineness, but they're so confused. Mm-hmm. Wow. So because this is the Mom Still Standing podcast, how do you think moms should push for racial justice? By protecting other moms. Mm. What does that look like? I don't know. I, I really don't know, but I got an email the other day that um, Trayvon Martin's mom is running for mm-hmm. a seat. Yep. And so I donated and I said, okay, now granted, I, again, if you think about gratitude up front, I'm like, wow, how amazing is that? Like something terrible. And I mean, terrible happened to this woman, but now she has gotten into a space where she's like, I'm going to ignite change if it's the last thing I do. So I'm going to get into a role of power. I did a podcast episode last week or this week with an attorney who's black. And she said, the only way to fix this is for black people to get in positions of power, to be in law enforcement, to be judges. Her goal is to be a judge. She was like, I want to be a judge, to be the prosecutors, to be the defense lawyers, to be in these positions of power so that they can protect black people from these different standards that exist. But I keep seeing like, now we now there's these events and this is it's full of black mothers with dead black children 
And I'm like, why do we have to get to that point? Why do we have to get to that point? Why can't as moms, when we see something like this happening, why can't we step in? Like I saw some incredible signs around this saying that like that, that man was laying on the ground. George Floyd was laying on the ground calling for his mom. If you're a mom, I don't care what race you are. You felt that in your soul. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> Any race, your son, his last breath is mom, mama, please. You felt that in your soul. Imagine that being your baby. I can, I know I can't, I can't. So what do we do as moms to, to protect each other? And I think that's just really like taking a stand for one another and looking at what those preventative measures might be. And if I was being honest, I feel like I don't know the answer to that. I think there's just so much work that has to be done. I think we need to protect them in the schools. I think there needs to be more community meetings. I think that there needs to be more town hall meetings. I think we need to, I really think communities don't need to be policed by white cops, period. I think that there should not be two out of the 14, 15 cops that police your neighborhood should not be black. I think it should be majority black and people that you know. They used to say that like back in the day, the police that policed your neighborhood were people that lived in it. Mm-hmm. So then you knew them. So yeah. they're not going to mess with you because they're like, oh, hey, that's Jimmy or hey, that's so-and-so. Yeah. He's just wild or he's just. And they're going to go talk to Jimmy and they're going to be like, Jimmy, come on, man, get your act together. You know, exactly. I think that we need to be policing the communities that we live in. And I think we all need to be, I think we, we're getting further and further away of, from knowing our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. That, that really hurts my feelings. It's like, it's so funny. I always try to get to know my neighbors and they always think I'm so weird. I'm like, listen, I don't want to come in your house and have casserole. I just want you to know me. And I know you don't want my, want you to know my son. And if he runs in the driveway, I want you to grab him and save him because you know me. Or even you want them to know your husband because he's not the same shade as you. And exactly. then he's just, he's not an intruder coming to your house. Like, exactly. <laughs> it, I, oh, I got, I got a few up there at the front that they look at me like they, they will never talk to us. And it's like, that, that, that's a whole other conversation. That's fine. But it's like, exactly. I don't want someone thinking that my husband's breaking into our house. Right. Like, I want you to know that this is a biracial family and I will protect your kids the same way I expect you to protect mine. hmm like one, I'll, I'll never, I will never forget this. This is the scariest moment of my life. My son was downstairs one time watching television. Uh, I was packing the car. I was home alone to take him to my, my, his grandmother's house. And I parked the car in front of the garage with the garage open. And then there's a door to go into the garage. I was literally coming to get him for us to leave. And I remembered I left his asthma treatment upstairs. Four seconds for me to run upstairs and grab it. He was watching TV. So I was like, he's fine. I ran upstairs, grabbed it, came down. He was gone. I literally bolted out the door. And as soon as I was bolting out the back door, my neighbor was walking up with him and her on her hip. Oh my God. And I was like, oh my God. And she was like, he just ran into my garage. He was only two. She's like, he just ran into my garage. She said, I was about to leave. And I'm like, oh my God. Like what? Like, no, we have to know our neighbors. We have to know people in our community. And people call that nosy. And it's too much and all this. No, we need to know our neighbors so that we can protect one another. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah. Because if that was my neighbor, I would have jumped in and been like, that's my friend. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my so-and-so. That's, he's got kids. You need to, you know, and I, not that I'm saying that, that would have saved anyone. Right. But we have to, we have to start somewhere. We have to love each other 
in ways that we choose not to anymore. These phones keep distancing us. And I think we got to get behind our phones and love and protect and become a community again. That's very good advice. So with everything that has been going on from the pandemic to all the racial injustices, how have you been caring for yourself emotionally and mentally as a woman, as a mom, and even as a wife of a Black man? Best way I can explain it is I saw one meme and it set me free. It said, you can rally behind Black Lives Matter. You can rally behind the movement and speak on it. And you can do you and be a business owner all at the same time. And in my mind, I had to, to protect myself and my sanity. I had to decide that I was adding that to my values. So I had to look at that as a way as if I were to give a future client or a future partner what my values were. I'm adding this into my values. Black Lives Matter is part of my values now. So keeping it at the forefront of the mind, understanding that it's part of my values. But at the end of the day, I still have to run my business. I still have to pay my bills. I still have to elevate voices. And that's not to say that I haven't done things to elevate. You know, I've I've reached out to people and said like, you know, hey, this is very important for me to elevate the voices of Black women, leaders, change makers right now during this time, because that's what I do as a business model. But I think I had to tell myself, you can do both. Because there was, I went for a two week period where I felt like I couldn't say anything else because it would come across as insensitive. Mm-hmm. That if I was going to talk about my business or starting a podcast or making money doing this, or that it would be, come across as insensitive because people are mourning right now. Right. They're grieving. It felt so insensitive. And I just had to acknowledge and tell myself that this is not changing tonight or tomorrow or next week. And so thank God this woke me up. Thank God this woke my family up. Let's be more careful. Let's create new values. And let's run our businesses like leaders that truly believe in the Black Lives Matter movement. And you can do both. You can care for yourself. You can run a business. And you can consider this one of your top values as a business owner and a leader and a a speaker, author, guider, blogger, whatever it is that you do. I appreciate that answer. However, I want to know more from a self-care aspect. Like you said, people are grieving, you know, our emotions are high. Every time we hear of a different case, it sends us to a different place emotionally and mentally. So from that perspective, how do you feel like you're really just caring for yourself and your family? Get off your phone and be present. I mean, it sounds so desensitizing. And, but again, if you talk about looking inward, you can't serve from an empty cup. You can't help people from an empty place. We need to be motivated by the hate and the suffering. Absolutely. There are times for that, but you can't serve from an empty cup. And there has just been times where like, first thing this morning, I woke up, I was like ready to go. I was like, so excited this morning. I was like all about my business. I said, I got a full day today. I jumped up at, you know, seven. I did my journaling. I read my book. I got my drink. I was like ready to go. And I opened my phone. And the first thing I saw was that video about that young man, Elijah, the 23-year-old that was walking home, who should have never, ever, ever lost his life. He shouldn't even have been stopped. I saw the video and then it took me down a rabbit hole. I watched another video and then I read another paragraph and I said, Jessica, stop, stop, because you have seven sales calls today, two podcast interviews, and you have to show up as your best self because whatever your responsibility is as a mom, as a wife, as a leader, through your podcast and your community, they're expecting you to show up today and you have to show up and you can't do this half-assed. 
you can't allow what's going on to control you or consume you. And I have a mentor that always says that, and this might not be relevant, but feelings are not facts. Hmm. And so those are my feelings. It's not to say that every time they should not be addressed, but I know there's a time in which they should. If it's not serving me and there's times that I need to step away, we need to be able to acknowledge and know that that's okay. You can go refresh, recharge and come back to it. Right. Just don't forget about it. Just don't forget about how much this matters. Right. Right. Well, this has been very enlightening. I appreciate you sharing from your lens Um, and your lens does look a little different because of how you've journeyed with people of color for a very long time. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for continually opening your heart and being willing to learn and being willing to speak up and speak out and be an activist. It means a lot to me. And I'm sure it means a lot to those that are following you and listening to your podcast. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Danielle, for having me. Thank you for giving me a mic on this subject, allowing me the opportunity to talk about it and trusting my opinion and my lens and my feedback my, and, and just believing that my perspective matters. So your perspective matters. And I, I always appreciate that we can have these open conversations that, like you said, we may disagree and that's okay because these opinions, they matter. Everybody is struggling with the way in which they see what's going on. So it's important that we express these stories and these values and these opinions to help other people put words to what they can. Yes, absolutely. So I want to leave us with a, one of my favorite quotes. Um, it's an African proverb. And if it's, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I say that because in order for us to, to defeat racism, we have to do this together. And so together means everything that we just talked about. Yes. So unfortunately. Yeah, I just pray that people are really listening with their heart with this episode. So I just encourage all my mom friends to check out Jessica Hurley's podcast. It's the Stranded Phase podcast. She's on the same platforms that I am on um, with the Mom Still Standing podcast. And check out some of her recent episodes on the topic of racial injustice, white privilege, whiteness, and all of that. I really feel like you will be enlightened. So thank you again for tuning in to the Mom Still Standing podcast, and I'll see you next time. Peace. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of The Stranded Podcast. If you felt inspired or moved today, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. You can learn more about us and our guests at thestrandedphase.com. And don't forget that your stranded phase is a rite of passage on your journey to greatness.